We're going to get into some of the lies we tell ourselves about the Bible that you cover in the book here in just a few moments, but I wonder how uh, you discern which lies you wanted to write about (laughs) and and, uh, how you believe they have bearing on many of the issues we see within the American, um, American Christianity, certainly in the past, but also today. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. Go ahead and click that subscribe button and be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters. Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a special shout-out to our annual sponsor, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Mark Wingfield. He's the executive director and publisher at Baptist News Global. He served the local church in a variety of roles. He's also an author, countless articles behind his name, and several books to his credit, including Why Churches Need to Talk About Sexuality. He's best friends with Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, and now he can add CBF podcast guests to his credentials. Mark, thank you for joining the conversation. Yeah, I think you just insulted Jerry Jones. <laughs> I figured if you're a resident of Dallas, you somehow have to be, you know, you know, strangely connected to that man. You know, it's a mania. Uh, it's a mania down here. I recall when the Dallas Morning News first put up a paywall on their website. The only thing they put behind the paywall was Dallas Cowboys information. Everything else was free originally. The only thing you had to pay for was Dallas Cowboys news. <laughs> So uh, for our audience, we're recording this in March, but I was in uh, January, I was in Dallas, Uh, Jay Keevy and I were doing some work with some partner schools, and there was no greater joy than being in Dallas the night that Dallas lost in the playoffs. Um, It was just, it was an amazing feeling, Uh, and then to see just how angry and incensed all fans were. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm seeing that with you right now, but you're not really a Cowboys fan, are you? I'm, I'm apathetic. Uh, I'm, I'm agnostic about the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but I do know that everywhere I travel around the country, I like I meet Cowboys fans everywhere. Yeah. They are legion. Yeah, that's the definition of bandwagon. Speaking of, of bandwagon, people that want to hop on to one of the greatest news sources that we have out there with Baptist News Global. So I know I'd introduced it at the beginning. Um, you know, our audience isn't just folks from CBF. So what would you want people to know about Baptist News Global? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, Baptist News Global is a national nonprofit news service. I like to say Baptist News Global is not just for Baptists anymore. We cover a wide range of 
issues of current interest, um, a news analysis opinion on uh, big issues, religious liberty, church life, uh, immigration, public education, uh, all the cultural war issues, some Baptist news, a lot of Methodist news, some Presbyterian news, uh, but all the things that sort of bring us uh, our interest into conversation today. And so uh, 30 to 35 pieces of original content published every week. And come check us out at baptistnews.com. So you you all really do kind of cover this wide landscape that is Baptist, um, which for a lot of people, most people, especially with CBF being a smaller denomination in comparison to some larger denominations, most people, when they think Baptist, they think Southern Baptist um, right. or or typically like independent Baptist. And so it's it's not necessarily um, the most uh, flavorful taste in people's mouth when they hear that. So, you know, as as people who cover Baptist, what, what would you want to know about just kind of Baptist identity and the diversity of folks that are out there? Well, so it is, you know, Baptists are the largest non-Catholic uh, affiliation within Christianity in America. Uh, when you put us all, I mean, Southern Baptists, of course, are the largest as a unit. But when you put all the Baptists together, all the many flavors of Baptists together, uh, we're, we are by far the largest uh, Protestant uh, gathering collection in the United States. But we come in such diversity. We get everything from independent free will Baptists to more liberal Baptists on the other side. And it's a wide range. But because of the size of the Southern Baptist Convention, they get most of the attention <clears throat> because they're just the largest of that group. So I know in my years here as a lay leader and then as a pastor at Wilshire, the tagline we came up with years ago that we just say all the time is, we're not that kind of Baptist church. Uh, or put more positively, we're a different kind of Baptist church because you say Baptist and people are like, oh, I don't want any part of that, right? <clears throat> but you have to quickly explain in these parts at least that oh, we're not like what you think. We're not Robert Jeffress. Speaking of which, um, you would appreciate this as being a Dallas person. So I get probably every single week, probably 10, 15 advanced reader copy books from publishers that are wanting us to consider having them on the podcast. I have now received a total of five Robert Jeffers books, um, and two of them were children's books. Um, but I was just told, and he's listening to this right now, Aaron Weaver told me absolutely not because he knew how I would be on that interview. So. <laughs> Uh, I can't even imagine a children's book from Robert Jeffers, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a new book. Um, honestly, this book examines the lies we tell ourselves about the Bible. You wrote, people often want concrete black and white answers from fill in the blank sermons. Often this manifests in people asking how questions of the Bible, failing to understand that the Bible was written to address why, what, and who questions. Yeah. What? Walk us through the headspace you were in as you were sensing a need to write uh, about this specific topic. So this book was a product of the pandemic. Uh, this book was a product of 2020. Uh, I, as, as things shut down, we're recording this in March, and it was three years ago next week that uh, the world shut down. And during that time, uh, and shortly thereafter, if you remember all the events that were going on with uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, with the racial reckoning over the summer, 
the presidential election, all of those things, you know, taking force at the same time. Uh, I was teaching, uh, I, I teach an adult science school class at Wilshire and have for 20 plus 23 years, the same class. And we were meeting online and uh, all of a sudden I couldn't have this discussion like we normally do. I, I lead a very discussion already in the class, but we're on Facebook live. And so I'm having to say a lot more. And so I started, I thought I'll do this series on truth because no one's, truth's being challenged on every front right now. And so I started writing out the lessons in a manuscript form every week. And those became, each week's lesson became a chapter of this book. I sort of knew up front what I thought I could do with it. And then I would get feedback from my class every Sunday. And then every Sunday afternoon, I'd sit down and just go clean up uh, what I had done. And that became the basic uh, outline, uh, the basic content of the book. One, one week, one chapter. Uh, some additions thrown in along the way. Some stuff didn't make it uh, that we that we cut along the way. So th that was the basis. It was out of this year of us trying to figure out what really is true on so many levels. Uh, and so what I really wanted to subtitle the book was uh, Faithful Christian Living in a Post-Trump World. Uh, the publisher chose not to use that subtitle. So when you when you talk about the Bible was written for why, what, and who questions, not how questions, what do you mean by that? That's a thank you for asking that because it's the heart of the whole thing. Uh, one of the illustrations I use in the book is that most, not a lot of people, think of the Bible like a magic eight ball. If you remember that um, bundle toy that uh, some people would say is part of the occult, uh, and you know other people would say is just a fun toy. Uh, it's that plastic black ball that with a little window on it and uh, you ask it a question and you shake it up and then it says yes, no, or maybe. Uh, and this gives you your, it's just one step short of a Ouija board, but uh, you know, it's, it's a kid's toy. But a lot of people look at the Bible that way. Um, it's, let me ask the Bible any question and flip, 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 put your finger down oh, here's my answer to that. They treat the Bible like a magic eight ball that's going to have an answer to every question. And the Bible does not even hold itself out to be that. Uh, nowhere does it. The, the Bible is not a book of science. It is not a book of history. Uh, it is a book that includes some scientific observations, but not in, in a pre-scientific era. It's a book that includes stories of history of the Israelite people and of the early Christian church, but it's not a comprehensive history book. Uh, one of the uh, older Theo bros recently tweeted that scripture is sufficient for counseling, full stop. Direct quote what this guy said. Everything you need to know about counseling is found in the Bible. I'm sorry, that's just crazy. That That is not true on any sense. The Bible does not hold itself out to be a counseling manual. <laughs> there are There's wisdom in the Bible that could be good counsel, but it is not a manual on how to counsel someone. Uh, th this guy is making the Bible something that it never even claims for itself to be, and that is misrepresenting the very truth of what the Bible is. You know, we, we think about um, when it comes to this idea of, of truth. Uh, obviously, that's so much of this book, and you wrote um, here's the first problem when we take up the topic of truth. Not all truth is truth. 
yes, there are some things that are empirically true. There should be no argument. Two plus two equals four, for example. And yet we know uh, all too clearly that there are people who intentionally lead us away from truth while pretending they are telling us the truth. Take us a little deeper there uh, around the importance of understanding the nature of truth. So the illustration I use in there is pulled from the old uh, Colbert report, uh, Stephen Colbert's previous iteration of a TV show. And I think he even had a book by this title, as I recall, about truthiness, truthiness, things that ought to be true, things you want to be true, things that sound true, but aren't really true. Uh, they they sort of have the, the, the ring of authenticity, but they actually are not true at all. And so we call that truthiness. And a lot of people today are just dying for truthiness. And some of them, as we now see out of the defamation suit proceeding against Fox News, um, some of them are people who know they're telling lies, but it pays them to tell lies because people want to hear their lies. People want to be comforted by that, right? And uh, more, more and more, we know that people tune into places like Fox News because it reinforces their biases. And even some of them are able to say, oh, we know this isn't true, but we want to believe it's true, right? And so there is this slide, and you want to talk about a slippery slope. Uh, there is a slippery slope into anti-truth once you start, you know, placating that, that I, I need to be reinforced with what I believe or what I want to believe, what I wish were true, what I wish were true. And so uh, I talk, I, I give a couple of illustrations in the book about uh, the beautiful Tennessee Williams play, A Streetcar Named Desire, where the character Blanche Dubois uh, is living in a fantasy land because her life is crap and she can't admit it. So she puts up a, uh, a a thin covering over the bare light bulb in the room to cast a softer shade on the place. And this is just the metaphor for th this whole concept of how we try to make things appeal to us that are otherwise not appealing because we just can't bear the truth of of the reality around us and this is where i think we find so much of our conflict today uh, with people who not only disregard the truth but they willfully don't want to know the truth because it's too painful for them obviously people's relationship with the bible is based on their understanding of what it is and why we have it you wrote there's a universal truth that the bible doesn't require decoding. God has been at work and is at work in all of creation to bring the redemption of a fallen humanity. Apart from the fact that Jesus came to earth to show us God's love and flesh, there's a lot of God's work in the world that is not transparent to us. Talk to us about our relationship with truth when it comes to kind of our, our understanding of God, going back to, you know, as you wrote before, and I read, um, you know, we, we like things black and white. Yeah. So uh, as we talk, um, your listeners can't see, but I'm sitting in a funeral home here in Dallas right now. Um, and I'm, as soon as we finish this podcast, I'm officiating a funeral for a 24-year-old woman who died suddenly, prematurely, obviously, left behind a, a four-year-old child and a grieving husband. One of the ways I stay grounded uh, in ministry as a journalist is I do funerals. 
uh, I officiate a lot of what I call pickup funerals for people who don't have a minister. And um, it's really meaningful and um, helpful work. It, it, it helps me remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so on days like today, um, I, I'm, I'm going to, in this service, I'm going to talk about that beautiful passage from the Apostle Paul about now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. Uh, we can't see the world fully right now because we don't have the eyes. And one of the things I almost always say to families at funerals is, if you don't remember anything else I say, remember this, not everything that is real is visible to us now. Not everything that is real is visible to us now. We can't see things, and yet we wish we could. And, and so I'm going to use the illustration about watching uh, TV or a movie and what you see when you watch TV or a movie is you see what the producer and director of that show wants you to see. You only see what fits in the frame of that. You don't see the cast and crew on the side. You don't see craft services. You don't see all the props. You don't see all the mechanics that are going on to the edge. But if we could pan out on life, if we could pull way back and see what's happening beyond our limited vision now, we would understand God's work in the world better, but we don't have that capacity. And one of the lies that we tell ourselves is that we understand everything. And the reality is no one understands most things. Uh, it takes immense humility to say, I don't know. I don't understand. This is beyond my understanding. Yes, there needs to be a mystery to the divine. That's part of this. But the that's got to be accompanied by humility on the part of us to be willing to say we don't know the answer to every question we don't understand everything and there's a lot of life like why does a 24 year old die prematurely that we don't understand god's ways are higher than our ways it's not that god causes this to happen but how do we honestly say we do not understand the way the world works. We're going to uh, get into some of the lies we tell ourselves about the Bible that you cover in the book here in just a few moments, but I wonder how uh, you discern which lies you wanted to write about <laughs> and, and uh, how you believe they have bearing on many of the issues we see within the American um, American Christianity, certainly in the past, but also today. Well, that's the key. Uh, what, I, what I tried to do was find lies uh, that are relevant to the modern conversation. And so that's how we end up talking about race and gender and uh, so many of the things that are that are contemporary for us now. They're actually, the, originally there was supposed to be a chapter on the book of Revelation, on the end times, uh, that by, by the time the book was put together, the flow, it just didn't fit. And so I pulled it from the manuscript. I've actually published it as a column at BNG as well. It's, it's taken on left behind theology. Um, premillennial dispensationalism, which is full of arrogant people who think they know every, they have the secret decoder ring, you know, for God's truth, and the rest of us don't. Uh, so that's one thing that fell by the wayside from this. But yeah, you're right. Uh, all the topics in the book are, it's sort of sequential, it sort of goes from Genesis forward um, with that. And, but I, I tried to find things that were relevant to our current conversation. Which was is why this I think you know the book has discussion questions with each chapter, and it would be a great study 
uh, book for a for small groups of all kinds. So we know that the Bible has been used as a weapon, um, both as a bludgeoning tool and as a mechanism of justification for some of the worst atrocities in human history. Racism and enslavement of millions of Africans being at the top of that list of atrocities. Walk us through the, the lies uh, we, we, we have told ourselves about the Bible and what it says about race and how that led to the justification of things like the transatlantic slave trade and Jim Crow laws. But, but also the stains um, of systemic racism that exists in America today. So one of the things I say is if you can't get the beginning story right, you're not going to get the rest of the story right. It, it's like the foundation to building a house. <clears throat> if the foundation is uneven or cracked or askew, the whole house is going to be wrong. And this is what happens. This is why the book of Genesis is so important to us. Because most of the big problems we have in interpreting the Bible today go back to the book of Genesis and wrongly interpreting the book of Genesis. From six-day literal creationism to the crazy teaching about the curse of Ham. So this curse of Ham theology is really what drove and justified American slavery and has been used other places as well. And it is just a flat-out lie. It is a misinterpretation, a misrepresentation of Scripture that says God cursed. It, it's it's not even really Ham, you know. It's it it's 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 an it's another part of the family. But this curse occurred uh, because of something you know bad that was done, and God cursed them and made their skin dark, and so therefore they're to be subjugated. Well, this this is the very same reason we have gender uh, problems because people believe that God has ordained or cursed the the woman to have pain in childbirth and be submissive to a husband uh, and it's it's just a very skewed reading of scripture that then skews your theology all the way along because if you if you start there and then you extract everything else from there and you build your theology upon these, bad ideas, you're going to end up in some crazy places, which is how, as I, you know, I tell the story in the book about being at a birthday party for our next door neighbor who was nine years old. And there was a younger girl, the birthday girl's black. And uh, one of the young neighbors next door came over and they had ponies dressed up as unicorns. Everyone's having a great time. They were riding these unicorns around up and down the street. And it was a fantastic time. And this you know, this little white girl comes up to the mom of the birthday girl and says, you know, I, I'm not comfortable here because there's too many black people here. Well, how do you learn that when you're six or seven years old? <laughs> that You don't come out of the womb saying that, right? So there is some acculturation that happens that even if you don't know about the curse of hand, uh, it's what's driving this so much behind it, it just bears rotten fruit for centuries. The Bible was never intended to be a, a science book, um, but that doesn't stop people from using it as one, especially when it comes right. to matters of, you know, the, the age of the earth, um, their belief in evolution and, and climate change. Since you covered this in, in two chapters, what is the foundation behind the biblical belief system that brings people to a place 
of antagonism towards things like evolution, let alone climate change? Well, I mean, this is the Scopes trial all over again, uh, all the time. We're, we're just constantly reliving those, the fundamentalist modernist controversy uh, out of that. It just plays out in different ways. Um, and it's always convenient for people to use the Bible. Uh, you know, those who are supporters of the fossil fuel industry uh, can turn to the Bible and, and, and get their own interpretation of it. Uh, so one of the things I try to point out is that there is a truth about creation, that God created us humans to be caretakers of creation, not abusers of creation. Because there is a crazy theology out there today that God has given us all of these earth's resources to use up and it, that God wants us to use them. That, In other words, we need to empty the refrigerator before it blows up. And that's not, that's not an accurate reading of scripture at all. Uh, because when you get to the end of the book in Revelation, it says God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. It doesn't say the earth blows up and goes away. It says that God wants to redeem everything. God wants to bring us back to the beginning, back to the Garden of Eden, right? And th this is about being caretakers. Throughout Scripture, we find references to uh, biblical characters being called to be caretakers of the earth, not abusers of the earth, not sucking all the resources out. And so the a true and honest reading of the Bible is going to lead you to be concerned about environmental stewardship, which we now know even young evangelicals get, right? Uh, it's This is an older person's problem because we got so enculturated that way in my generation and earlier uh, that we had to make up a lie about it to say, well, the Bible, the Bible supports this when in fact it didn't. Since 2016, CBF has brought you episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. One of the the central arguments of the book examines our um, egocentric uh, relationship with faith and our relationship with the Bible. You write that one of the greatest lies um, to live is like we are at the center of God's story. What do you mean by that? And how does that influence our relationship with the scriptures? This is always a challenge for us. I remember as um, like a junior high or high school student, uh, there was there was something that uh, had happened that I really was not responsible for, but I felt responsible for. Uh, and I had a wise teacher say to me, do you really think you're so important that you caused this to happen? <laughs> and what, what the teacher was saying was, you are, you are reading this situation through an egotistical lens 
that says if something has happened, you must have been the cause of it. And you're not that important. And I think one of the things the Bible teaches us is while God loves us and redeems us, we are not as important as we often hold ourselves out to be. And this manifests in all sorts of ways uh, that are unhealthy for us. Uh, the, the Bible truthfully calls us to understand that we are frail creatures of dust. We are not the center of the universe. Yes, God loves us. Yes, God creates us. Yes, God redeems us. But particularly in American uh, Christian theology, we've become so individualized, so me and Jesus about everything, that we lose the plot that it's us and Jesus, not just me and Jesus. It's all, all we want to focus on is that personal salvation relationship. And God is working to redeem all of creation, not just me in creation. And that, that egocentric fixation on the individual, I think is another root of a lot of uh, the lies that we tell ourselves. But then, you know, the other thing you're tipping into here is toward the end of the book, I acknowledge that it's hard for us to tell the truth about ourselves. Uh, I mean, none of us really probably wants to do that because we can't bear to. Um, and that's, I think that's the other, that's the flip side of this whole equation. Um, we we always want to see ourselves as better than we are and we want to see everyone else as worse than they are. And honesty, I mean, this is something I haven't conquered uh, <laughs> for sure. And I think no one, no one or few people really do. The week we are recording this um, through the Dominion lawsuit against Fox News, we are learning that despite spending months on end leading their viewers to believe that the 2020 presidential election was filled with fraud, that behind the scenes, Fox News executives and anchors didn't believe a word what they were broadcasting. There, there are two main things I want to unpack here because the vast majority of American evangelicals choose Fox News as their only source of news, and Fox has become synonymous with the Republican Party. Um, first, what does the evangelicals' relationship with Fox tell us about their relationship with, with truth? And, you know, is there a way to connect that to their understanding of, of the Bible? So my take on the whole question is that evangelicalism in America comes out of a uh, a culture that has felt sidelined and persecuted for their beliefs for decades and has wanted to be taken seriously, but can't be taken seriously. And so the way you do that is you find people to validate your beliefs and you look for anyone who can build you up and make you feel better about what you believe, even though you know you're not in the mainstream of, of anything, right? Uh, evangelicalism in America is not mainstream Christian theology in the world. It is, it, it, it's still an aberration, just like premillennial dispensationalism is an aberration. But there's a need to build that up. And when you marry that with a political agenda, as has happened really since the Reagan revolution forward, that becomes a powerful block to people who need attention who really were minority voices in American culture, but they bond together and, and create other institutions to make them feel better about themselves. And Fox News is the outgrowth of that. 
to call Fox News news is one of the greatest misnomers in world history. It is not news. It, it is disinformation designed to make certain people feel better about themselves, but they found a huge audience for it as well. And so it's been very profitable uh, for them. And so the money drives it. What's fascinating about the Dominion lawsuit is that it's unmasking all of this, which by the way, to the true believers, it's not going to matter. They don't care. They just want to be reinforced in their beliefs. But it could financially undermine the thing um, in a way that could, saints be praised, make it go away. One of the questions I often ask myself is, how different would American society be today? How different would American politics and culture be today if Fox News never existed? Because in my view, as a journalist, uh, if you remove the disinformation campaigns of Fox News from the equation, we would not be where we are today. And the the notion of truth would have much more relevance to us today, politically and in Christian circles than it does. There is no single institution I can think of that has done more damage to the cause of truth than Fox News. You know, I, going back to first quote I read from the book earlier, um, where you wrote, we know all too clearly that there are people who intentionally lead us away from the truth while pretending they're telling us the truth. It, it's easy to poo-poo the tribalistic gravitation to the slanted truth of Fox News, but how can we guard ourselves from falling into the same trap as, as moderate and progressive Christians? So it's a great question. And, you know, one of the criticisms we, we often hear is, well, both sides do this. And there's a little bit of truth to that. The reality is nobody does it as well as the far right, uh, who really uh, is a group of people who have such low self-esteem about their beliefs that they've got to find ways to build themselves up. And Fox News does that. The liberal to progressive side, yes, there are some of that, but MSNBC is in no way comparable to Fox News, just for example. Uh, the, the dialogue, it's, Fox News has shifted the landscape so far to the right that any organization that truly would be middle of the road appears to be leftist to their people. So the, all that's background to say, the, the beginning place is to stop and evaluate yourself and ask, am I listening to or believing things only because I want to believe them? Am I willing to be challenged by ideas that I, at first blush, disagree with? And if, if the answer is, I, I only want to, I only want to hear what I want to believe, then that's the root of the problem, right? So whether you're left, right, or center, and, and centrists, by the way, can be guilty of this too, because centrists too often say, well, I just want everyone to get along. I just, can't we all be the same? And the reality is, no, we can't. Because when, when, when there are attacks, particularly from the right, wanting to control the world with their view, uh, that's not allowing, <laughs> that, that's the anti-definition of what a centrist would truly hope for. Uh, so I know this is very convoluted and all, 
but it begins by asking the fundamental question, who am I listening to and why am I listening to them? Why am I drawn to them? Uh, one of the stories I use often to illustrate this is several years ago at Wilshire, we had a young family who'd been in church for a, a, a good while and they had elementary age kids, uh, several of them. And um, they, they left us to go to a big box mega church uh, down the road. And the, the man and, uh, and the husband the, and father in this family came to speak to George Mason, our pastor, and explained why they were leaving. And he said, look, uh, I have to think at work every day during the week. And when I come to church on Sunday, I don't want to have to think. And your sermons, they make me think. I just don't want to do that. And so they left and went to this big church where the pastor preached you know, fill in the blank sermons. Uh, this is what God wants you to do. There's no thinking involved in any of that. Well, I think that is not authentic faith. Authentic faith requires us to wrestle with questions, to think about them, to be changed, to be moved, uh, not to be given fill in the blank sermons. Uh, that's the beginning point, I think. Fun fact for our listeners. Every time someone says George Mason's name, an angel gets its wings. Um, <laughs> I think you're giving the angels too much credit. Yeah. Uh, you know, we believe what we believe. There's no doubt that most of us have a very hard time changing our mind on most things. And when it comes to our understanding the Bible, that might be the most difficult thing for people of faith to change their mind. Um, when we're confronted with the ideas that so radically contradict our belief system, it, it actually triggers our hypothalamus to kick in a stress hormone, you know, the stress hormones or adrenaline and cortisol. And subsequently, people being confronted with contradictory views of the Bible quite literally feel like they are under attack. So how do we talk about our relationship with the Bible without people's survival instincts kicking in? It's a fantastic question. Um, and to illustrate that before I answer the question, back during uh, Wilshire's conversation about sexuality, we were having listening sessions with the congregation and I had been tasked with making a presentation on different ways of understanding the six clobber passages. Uh, and I, I presented just a, a very basic uh, overview of, you've heard it said, but here's another way of thinking this, you know, there's more than one interpretation to these passages. And this middle-aged man, a longtime member of the church, came up to me afterward and he said, what you're asking me to believe is that what my parents and grandparents taught me about these passages, this is assuming they actually had taught him anything about these passages, by the way, what, what they taught me about these passages was wrong. And if I believe that, then I've got to ask, what else did they teach me that was wrong? And to this man, to, to pull this little thread on those six clobber passages about same-sex relations, to pull that thread would endanger his entire faith. All of the Bible would fall apart to him. The, the whole, the whole, it's a house of cards that's going to come tumbling down. Uh, and what a fragile, fragile faith that is, uh, it, that you're that threatened by this this one thing and so the beginning point has got to be back to what i said earlier what is the nature of scripture what is the intent of scripture because when we worship the bible 
as the ultimate revelation of God to us, uh, or as the fundamentalists say, uh, the, you know, it, it is the preeminent and final word above Jesus himself, then you've got a problem because it, it is it is not that ongoing revelation like Jesus is. Uh, as an editor, I, you can illustrate this with a simple case of capitalization. Fundamentalist uh, pastors always want to capitalize the word of God as the W for the Bible. And my contention as an editor is that we only need to capitalize the W for Jesus as the spoken, the living word of God go read the gospel, the, the prologue of the gospel of John. Uh, if you want to understand that Jesus is the living word of God, and we must be shaped by the living word of God more than the written word of God. That is one expression of God's truth to us, but it is not the only expression. It's interesting to take this just a little bit deeper as we kind of steer towards the end of our time together. Um, I recently had a conversation with the church. I was uh, doing some work as they're going through a ministerial transition process. And, uh, you know, I was asking them kind of um, what the core values are, what their fears are about the future. And this idea of biblical truth came up a handful of times. And so I finally paused and said, what do you, what do you mean by biblical truth? And what is your fear that people will move away from biblical truth? And this person went on this long diatribe about how uh, people in the church are compromising their beliefs and moving away from the Bible. And so I just, you know, asked some more clarifying questions. And it, it dawned on me that, you know, oftentimes we, when we want to have these conversations, especially in the fact that most of our churches are purple these days, um, we, we just want to, our first impulse is to dive into debate. So I wonder, as you have served in, you know, a church that, you know, has theological diversity. What what are some of those best practices, some healthy things that we can do in order to create, um, you know, safe dialogue, if you will, or, or especially when it comes to the Bible? Well, the answer I'm going to give is not going to be well-received. Um, what I see happening across America today is that it is almost impossible to survive as a purple church, meaning... Uh, an equally balanced mix of blue and red politically. Uh, it is so difficult because of what has happened with the Republican Party and how it's gotten in bed with just untruth. Uh, and so uh, truth and untruth cannot abide together. And when when you, if you have a difference of agreement on how to do something, that is different than a difference of agreement about whether that thing is even true. And the, the fundamentalist evangelical influence on the Republican Party today, the influence of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and people like them who are just living in absolute delusion, that is not something you can engage in a healthy conversation. Uh, you know, if, if, if you want to have a conversation with George W. Bush or uh, Mitt Romney uh, versus Barack Obama or something like that, that's a reasonable conversation, but you cannot have a reasonable conversation and dialogue between the ideology of Trumpism and even Obama or uh, Jimmy Carter or uh, Joe Biden. It, it, these things, they're not even on the same plane, right? 
And when this infects a church and you have people who are living in some, some representation of truth and other people who are basing their ideology on outright lies, like the 2020 election was stolen, for example, or immigrants were all rapists and thugs and thieves, uh, or that religious liberty means only favoring me and not anyone else, when, when, you're, when you begin at that point, it's very hard to have a reasonable conversation. And so as the right has gone more to the right, uh, I have a lot of friends who are former Republicans who are still conservative people, but they feel completely alienated from their party. They, they can be in church relationship with other people, but uh, they feel homeless uh, in, in other ways. So the, the, the bridges, the coalitions uh, are, are changing. It, it, it goes to that old illustration about how far you can stretch a rubber band. There's only so far you can stretch a rubber band before it snaps. And the, the spectrum that can be accommodated in any church can only go so far. Uh, you In today's culture, I think you cannot get to the far left and the far right in one congregation and keep the rubber band intact. It's going to snap. And when it does, it's going to hurt people along the way. So as, as much of a lovely ideal as it is to say, oh, we want to continue to have a purple church, it is increasingly impossible to do that. And so what happens, um, and you probably see this in your work as well, is people from one side or the other start leaving. They start peeling off because uh, they want to be with people who share their beliefs. Uh, they want to be together with people who are not going to challenge them and threaten them. And this is true on all sides. So I think we see a great reshaping of congregational life today based largely on political and cultural values that may or may not be biblical, even if people pretend they're biblical. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I would, I, it's not really pushing back on, the only thing that I've, my hope in experiencing is that I think if we intentionally try to dissolve pur purple churches, we end up um, feeding the flame of tribalism um, versus if we can try to come together, we can try to have healthy conversations, if we can try to love one another and find mutual ground that can build towards healthy dialogue that it creates an alternative narrative that our culture is telling us that we need to find one side or the other now if you know me you know that i am not this this you know pie in the sky you know everything's going to be wonderful kind of person I'm very critical and very analytical on these things but i'm still holding out hope that somewhere we can find common ground it's not going to be for everyone, but certainly it's going to be for folks who maybe have lost their way in the sway of this political uh, tsunami that's taking place right now. Um, and, and we can help help them find through a pastoral care and nurturing a, a different narrative, a different uh, rhythm of life to live in, if that makes any sense. Oh, I, I agree with that. Uh, and I, I think it's wrong to push for the dissolution of a purple church. I think it, it's inevitable that a purple church is going to face challenges staying together, but not entirely. Uh, the, the question is how far you can stretch the spectrum within a church. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you, you can go so far in diversity of political and cultural thought, uh, even theological thought in a church, but you can't go too far. 
there is a limit to that, that spectrum. And so the more progressive people become on one side of the church, the less toleration there's going to be for the more absolute conservative on the other side, and vice versa is true. The more rightward people turn in the church, the less likely you're going to be able to keep people on the far left involved there too. You might get some people in the middle either way, but the the band, the stretch, uh, is not going to be as, it's not going to cover the full spectrum. Well, to avoid snapping the band, uh, how do you imagine churches using this this book together? Well, I hope that it would be a good uh, small group study. Uh, again, we've got discussion questions involved in it. It'd be great for a Sunday school or a uh, you know, book club uh, group. Uh, it, it would be a great read for a congregation uh, to do together and 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 have some sort of intentional dialogue uh, about this. I hope it will inform individuals as well. Um, it's the, the book is full of illustrations uh, from history and culture and current events uh, that it, it's it's not just giving precepts. Uh, I'm, I, I, I try to illustrate all of these ideas in different ways that I think hopefully could be picked up and repeated. Uh, I, I would love to see some sermon illustrations come out of this somewhere. Our guest is Mark Wingfield. The book is Honestly Telling the Truth About the Bible and Ourselves. You can stay connected with Mark by visiting baptistnewsglobal.com. Mark, it's always a joy talking with you. Thank you for challenging us to see that the greatest lie of all is to live like we are the center of God's story. Appreciate it. Before we wrap up, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Are you looking for a Bible study resource for your church? Responding to an invitation from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has produced Bible study resources that is available for free of charge. The study title, Faithful Curiosity, Five-Week Study of Luke and Acts, deals with three passages from Luke and two passages from Acts. It offers Bible study methods and provides two interpretive essays for each passage. The writers are BSK faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Download this resource for free today at bsk.edu backslash faithful. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Go ahead and click that subscribe button. Be sure to rate and review the podcast as it helps others find us. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.